You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. I wonder how many of us have ever found ourselves in a real life or death situation. Perhaps you're driving, someone else on the road did something they shouldn't have done, and you had to make a quick decision or a quick maneuver to avoid catastrophe. Perhaps there was an accident at work, and the decision you made in that moment would have massive consequences for the lives of people around you. I once knew a man who found himself looking down the barrel of a shotgun when the place of business at which he worked was robbed at gunpoint. Now most of us will give thanks that we've not found ourselves in that sort of life and death situation, though some may have. James, the brother of our Lord, would have us know that we face life and death situations on a weekly, if not daily, basis. Just because we're not in one of those kinds of settings that we've described doesn't mean we don't face life and death moments all the time. For James, those life and death moments come in the moment of temptation. When we're tempted to sin or when we're tempted to do or say things that we know are not honoring to God. And for James, those moments and the decisions that we make in those moments have massive consequences for our life. Indeed, eternal consequences. We might even put it this way. For James, temptation indulged leads to death. Temptation endured leads to life. For James, when we give ourselves into indulging temptation, things we know we shouldn't be getting involved in, but we do anyway, there are eternal consequences. Yes, there are consequences in the now time, We've all experienced that. When someone sins against us, we feel the sorrow, the grief, the brokenness, the hurt, the pain that comes with that decision. James also, in this passage we just read together, wants to keep our minds focused on the big picture, though. He says in verse 12, Blessed is anyone who endures temptation, such a one has stood the test, and will receive the crown of life. What's he talking about when he talks about this crown of life? This is a future reality on the day that Jesus returns and he gives the consummation, the fullness of salvation. This crown of life represents ultimate salvation for the people of God. For those who endure temptation, right? Because James says, everybody faces this. Everybody has these moments where, you know, I've got a choice to make. I can go one way or the other. And in that moment, I know what's right. I know what's wrong. And James says, those who endure that, who don't succumb to it, who don't indulge 
their desires in that moment will receive a crown of life. He also understands the alternative, doesn't he? Verse 14, one is tempted by one's own desire, Lord, enticed by it. When that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And that sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. You've got this contrast that controls James' thinking. You've got crown of life or death. Crown of life or death. James, temptation indulged ends in death. Temptation endured leads to the crown of life given by Jesus Himself. So we don't want to forget this temporal consequences sorrow and the pain that come with sin that we give ourselves to we need to remember we're paying attention to the text to scripture it's a lot bigger than that too there are eternal consequences in place in these matters now for James it's important to understand the source of our temptation if we want to conquer it we want to endure If we don't want to succumb, if we don't want to fall, if we want life and not death, it's important to understand the source of our temptation. Now, before we get to the source, he wants us to be clear on where temptation does not come from. He's going to talk about where it does come from. He also wants us to understand where it does not come from. Number one, he says, temptation doesn't come from God. That moment where you're filling a pool to, to do something you know you shouldn't, Take a step to make a choice to say something, to use your words in bitterness or anger or go somewhere or do something. Those off-limits things that we know if I go this way, it's not honoring to God. He says that kind of stuff never comes from God. We want to be clear on that because sometimes we talk like God tempts us. But He doesn't. God never draws us towards sin. Never. Another one that's implied, if it's not explicit, and this may be even more common in some of our misconceptions, is the devil. James doesn't mention the devil, but when he does describe the source of our sin, he articulates that as our own desires. We'll get into that in a minute. We need to understand that the devil didn't make us do it. I hear this kind of stuff all the time. Well, the devil made me do it. We kind of shove the blame off on somebody else, this spiritual being that we've never actually seen. I always have two responses on that. Number one, what in the world makes us think that we're so important that the devil himself has to show up and make us do it? (laughs) Of all the billions of people in the world, For some reason, I think that I'm so important that the devil has to put his energy and emphasis on me. Well, that's silly. The other thing is, Scripture's just very clear on where temptation comes from. It doesn't come from God. It doesn't come from the devil. It comes from our hearts. It comes from our desires. That's why whenever I hear someone Say, follow your heart, you know, like a pop song or a motivational speaker. 
I'm always inclined to say, yeah, sure, you can follow your heart, but be sure it will mislead you. Listen to James. Temptation doesn't come from God. God can't be tempted by evil. He himself tempts no one. But one is tempted, verse 14, by one's own desire. I have desires in my heart, in my soul, that are misformed. They are deformed. And they need to be transformed. And when I find that desire compelling, when I'm enticed by it, when I'm lured by it, then that desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. This willful giving of ourselves to things that don't honor Jesus. It's important to notice the difference between temptation and sin. I see this mix up often. A lot of people will think of temptation itself as sin. Temptation isn't sin. Sin is what you do with the temptation. One of the choices, one of the options with what you might do with temptation. So if you're in that moment, somebody treats you badly, you begin to feel that rage welling up inside you. We all know what that feels like. I see a few smiles. That means we all know what it feels like. (laughs) A colleague or somebody cuts us off and that just that rage, it starts about here, works its way up to here, and before long it's at our tongue and at our lips and Temptation happens when we begin to feel the fury. The sin happens when we choose to articulate that with our lips and our tongues and our vocal cords. And somewhere in between, we have an opportunity to take the rage and surrender it to Jesus. Temptation and sin, two different things. When we're tempted, we will will either keep our eyes on Jesus or give in. We will endure or we will indulge. And one leads to life and one leads to death. That's what James tells us. One is tempted by one's own desire, being lured, being enticed by it. Then when that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. It works its way up to that next level. And sin isn't the end of the line. Sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. This is serious stuff for James. This is life and death kinds of things. So our attitude toward temptation doesn't need to be one where we think it's trivial. Ah, it's not a big deal. I can indulge this time, but next time I'll do what I should. You ever been there? We take this sort of casual, trivial approach to temptation, and we think, you know, it's just not that big of a deal. The consequences aren't that important. James says this is life and death you're dealing with. Don't trivialize it. Don't pretend it's not important. Don't act like it's casual. Don't pretend it's not a matter of life and death. 
So how do we endure? How do we persevere? How do we surrender ourselves to Jesus in that moment so that his character is the thing that shows up in our lives? I think the key is getting to the root. And what's the root? Desire. What do I desire? Do I desire to indulge myself? Or do I desire to honor the Lord? Do I desire self-gratification? Or do I desire to give myself in love for my family, my colleagues, my church? What do I desire? We can see how badly it can go. Go back to the most well-known temptation story in the history of the world. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they're at the tree. God has said, don't eat it. The serpent is there. He says, hey, this is really good stuff. It'll make you wise. It'll give you knowledge. And if you take a look at the text, that D word shows up right there. When the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit, she ate, and she gave some to her husband Adam, who was with her. He was complicit. He was right there conspiring and giving in to this desire for knowledge, for self-control, for self-determination. The tree was to be desired. To make one wise. The problem really wasn't the serpent, was it? The problem was desire. Now our desires can go in different ways, can't they? Our desires can be cultivated in one way or another. They can be formed or deformed, can't they? We come into the world with desires that are naturally focused on ourselves. The Spirit of God can take that inward curvature, that self-orientation, and turn it outward towards Christ and towards each other. So how do we go from one to the other? James's answer is do the Word. Don't just show up, read a little bit of Bible, hear it, and not let it change your life. Submit yourself to God's Word. Don't just be hearers of the Word, be doers of the Word. Allow it to shape your life, to transform the way you think. Allow it to govern you. That will lead to righteousness. And you find out that your desires begin to change. Now we need to understand that this isn't just a spiritual discipline. God has wired our bodies for formation and deformation. One of the things we've discovered in recent years is that our brains have all these little electrical impulses 
flashing around all the time. And when we do things, they create pathways. Like new physiological brain pieces form, like little bridges between this part and this part. When we do things, a little bridge forms in our brains. When we do things we shouldn't do, when we give in to temptation, a little pathway forms. When that rage builds up and I feel like I can't help but say something I know is going to hurt another person, a little pathway forms. And that pathway makes it easier next time to give in. One reason we don't need to take this as a trivial thing is when we take actions, our body is actually constantly rewiring itself towards the things we do. That's how habits are formed. Maybe that's why when we feel like in that moment of temptation, we just we feel like, I can't help it. There's nothing I can do. It's out of control. I feel this thing and it's coming and I'm here and I feel like a slave to this. And maybe it's because we've given ourselves to it so many times and we've reinforced that, not just the spiritual discipline, but the physical reality of our actual bodies and our brains. We've given ourselves sin and we've reinforced that in the actual chemical, physical makeup of our bodies and our brains. We can physically deform our brains when we give ourselves to indulging temptation consistently. And it gets harder and harder and harder to say no to that next time. Similarly, on the other side, we're in that moment, we feel it coming along, that the Lord is good and we exercise self-control by His grace. Guess what happens? The brain forms a new pathway. It's beefed up and strengthened in that place where habits of holiness and obedience, endurance, passion. Those kinds of things are formed. Next time it's a little bit easier because there's already a bridge. bridge gets strengthened physically in your head in your body every time God has wired our bodies for formation the one who designed us who formed us out of the dust of the ground has designed our bodies so that our choices have real consequences when we choose to hurt or when we choose to indulge in self-oriented, self-focus, self-love, it reinforces habits of anger or self. And when we choose to obey G, to keep our eyes on Jesus, when we choose that self-giving love, I'm not going to indulge, I'm going to endure. God has actually wired our bodies to create habits of holiness. It's not trivial. 
And it won't be easier next time. It'll be harder to endure instead of indulge. And all of that for James is a matter of life and death. Temptation indulged, indulged leads to death. Temptation endured leads to life. Every moment, every day, we're faced with choices. We have voices calling us different ways. <laughs> More now than ever, probably. Just imagine when you're driving down, down a road, you've got billboards and you've got social media, you've got MP3s, music, all these things constantly a barrage of messages saying, come this way, give me your attention, draw your focus over here. And James wants, to, wants us to say, focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Don't get distracted. Go for formation, not deformation. Temptation indulged leads to death. Temptation endured leads to life. Focus on Jesus. And Jesus shows us in his own life what endurance looks like, doesn't he? It's really prominent in Matthew's gospel, the temptations of Jesus there in chapter 4. <laughs> Satan himself does show up to tempt Jesus. <laughs> he is that important. And every time Jesus declares the word of God, Scripture says, Scripture says, Scripture says. That's what doing the Word looks like. In that crisis moment, I've given enough of myself to the Word of God that the Word of God comes out. Later on in the Gospel, Jesus is tempted again. You ever notice the second temptation of Jesus? comes in chapter 16. He's asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter has answered, you're the Christ, the Son of God. And then Jesus says, that means I'm going to get handed over and crucified. I'm going to die. And Peter, because he knows better than Jesus, pulls Jesus aside and says, well, I'm going to, and the text says he rebukes him. Let me tell you what's really going to happen. And in that moment, Peter says the same thing to Jesus says the same thing to Peter. He said to the devil, he says, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking God's thoughts. It makes me think that temptation is probably a bigger deal when it comes from our friends than when it comes from the devil. It's probably a lot easier to say no to a demon than it is to your best friend. Jesus has got to get it through Peter's head and his own heart Peter is inviting Jesus to take his eyes off of his father's will. Behind me, Satan, you're thinking human thoughts, not God's thoughts. Behind me. Don't tempt me. Don't draw me away from what my father wills. And Jesus, 
Chapter 4 is focused on Scripture. Chapter 6, his eyes are singly focused on his God. You want to endure temptation? Love the Bible and love God. That's about desire too, isn't it? Desires are never neutral. They always go one way or the other. They're always about me, myself, self-gratification, self-interest, or about honoring God in Christ. James says that's the crucial place. If you want to conquer temptation, if you want to endure, if you want to receive life, get to the desires. And so just think about our daily life and our practices. What are we doing to cultivate different kinds of desires? What do I give my time to? What do I give my energy to? We all probably have a cell phone in our pockets. We give those a lot of energy, don't we? Turns out those really work on our brains. Every time somebody likes a Facebook post, our brain gives us a little shot of a chemical. Same chemical it gives us a shot of when we drink alcohol. Brings us back again and again and again and again. Put all my energy given to just scrolling endlessly. I wind up with sore thumbs and a deformed brain and desires that are shaped by the way I use my time. I think that's a big deal for us. It's even a bigger deal for our kids. Here's the keys to the liquor cabinet, son. Dig in. Things that seem so useful, things that seem so helpful. Man, I can't live without just having my phone 20 feet away from me on that chair. I just want to grab it right now because it's had that kind of effect. They draw us, don't they? I told our confirmation parents last week as we are thinking about our kids and Christian formation and discipleship, we are not prepared for what our technology is doing to us and our kids. It is forming us and it is deforming us in ways that are beyond, that we can't see it, ways that are beyond what we're ready for. Church needs to get ready for that. I was talking with a college professor not too long ago. He said the students that are coming through, this is, he's got kind of, the group of kids that, you know, when I was a kid, we didn't have the technology that we have now. I'm kind of that last generation that still had phones that had to be plugged in. Kids are in college right now, have grown up immersed in a world of digital technology, screens, and smartphones. The college professor said the anxiety is off the charts amongst his students. Correlation? Every time we get a like, 
our brains form new moral new pathways. Take us in one way, or they take us in another. And we wonder why we have such a hard time following Jesus. <laughs> we wonder why we're so we find it so hard to just to honor Him, and we talk about holiness, and it feels unreachable, and we hear what the Bible says, and we feel like the standard is just impossible, and when we feel we're tempted, it feels like we can't do anything else. It really feels that way, doesn't it? Like I can't do anything else. And the reality is we just, we've given ourselves year after year after year to practices that are cultivating habits that are changing our bodies so that we just can't help but indulge. James says, life and death. Good news, brothers and sisters, is that God's grace is able to transform us. God's grace can make us new. And if we can cultivate, cultivate a desire, cultivate hearts where desire for the Word of God, the life of the church, is greater than our desire for entertainment or whatever, we'll find over time, slowly but surely, the Spirit will be at work to form us for faithfulness, for endurance, for life. And don't we need each other to be like that? I mean, don't we need a community where we can count on one another to, to bring us to life, to draw us to life, to make sure we're focused on Jesus, to make sure we're not getting distracted, to make sure that we're learning how to be faithful parents, to make sure that our understanding and knowledge and love for the Scriptures is deepened. That's why, we put, that's why we talk about these life groups every day, every time we get together. Because those are places where you get a group of dads sitting around going, you know what, here's how I've really messed it up this week, and here's how Jesus wants to work through me so that I can actually raise a kid that loves Jesus. <laughs> or we got people coming along saying, you know, I struggle with the Old Testament. I have no idea what to do with it. So I'm really glad I've got a chance to spend 12 weeks or so just digging in deep and learning what that's about. Understand God's purposes better. Without that, if we just give ourselves to all the stuff that's out there and never set aside time for worship and formation, service, Imagine what it's doing to those pathways in our brains. The devil doesn't even have to show up to tempt us because we've created habits of indulgence. Don't we want the Holy Spirit to take us in the other direction? Form us. Transform. Give us life. It starts with remembering that every moment when those decisions come before us are life and death situations. 
in the most ultimate sense. And in that moment, if by, if by His grace, if the Holy Spirit can call our minds to texts like these, He can give us strength to endure in that moment. Want that? Do you desire it? You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.